0: Let us be an attitude of prayer together. Lord, we thank you for the ways in which we've already been blessed by you in this service, the music that stirs us, the fellowship, the prayers. Lord, we're so grateful for this congregation, this fellowship of people who love you and love each other. We don't know what we would do without it, Lord, so we thank you for that gift. And now, Lord, you have given to me the amazing privilege and responsibility of preaching your word to these my friends and your servants, Lord, a task I always need your strength in order to do. Help me. So, Lord, speak to me and through me in such a way that all of us do receive a word from you that will make a difference to our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, some time ago, Brandy and I went snow skiing in Park City, Utah. Beautiful place. I had been skiing in a long, long time. In fact, I'd only been skiing once when I was little. But I thought, you know, I can pick this up. How really hard can this be? Now, Brandy and her her brother, uh, Brad, who went with us, they're excellent skiers. They grew up going skiing. They look like gazelles on the slopes. It's beautiful. And I thought, yeah, I can hang with them. So we got there, and we went to the best outfitter because I wanted to look good. I wanted the best boots, the best skis, the best jacket, the best goggles, and we got them, and I looked good. But I was insulted when Brandy told me when we got there she had signed me up for ski lessons. I don't need ski lessons. But then the first thing I did at that lesson was fall right on my backside And the instructor said to me, that's a good lesson. That's a good first lesson, Charlie. You need to learn how to fall well. Now that's another sermon. Well, after the lesson, the instructor said to me, you did pretty good, but stay on the green slopes. Don't go to blue slopes or black slopes. They are way too advanced for you. So what happened when I saw Brad and Brandy? They said, we have a great blue slope for you to go down. Let's do it. And like an idiot, I said, okay. So we began down that blue slope, and I gained momentum, I gained momentum, I gained momentum. And it was steep and steep and steep. And I am terrified, and I'm doing the pie, pie, pie. And, Brand, and Brandy and Brad are just flying down, their kids whizzing by me. It was very humbling. And I am terrified. My life flashed before my eyes. I I am going to die. But I looked good. I had the best goggles on, I had the best skis, I had the best boots, the best jacket. I looked good, but I wasn't a real skier. And I tell you that story because sometimes that's the way Christians approach their faith. They're obsessed with the externals. They have those figured out, right? They carry their leather-bound Bible with their names on it. You see them drive to church on Sunday, they listen to Christian music only, no secular music, they don't cuss, they don't smoke, they don't drink. They look good, but as you look a little closer, you realize they're not really living out the heart of the faith. And that's why Jesus got so angry at the religious leaders of the day, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And people often ask me, why you, was Jesus so angry at the religious leaders? Because Jesus knew they were obsessed with the externals. How long their robes were, how long their prayers were, being noticed in public. Oh, well, they had that all figured out. But Jesus knew they weren't living out the heart of the faith. That's why Jesus said they were like whitewashed tombs. They needed to clean the inside of the cup first instead of the outside. You know, it's easy for us to get preoccupied with the externals of our faith. That's always a danger. And so that's why I want to lift up to you this morning one of the most well-known parables in all of the New Testament that Jesus told, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Because as we look at it closer, we'll truly see what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, the parable of the Good Samaritan, like I said, is probably one of the most well-known stories that, that Jesus ever told, next to the parable of the prodigal son, maybe. And most people, when they read this parable, they think Jesus wants us to ask ourselves, Do I have the stuff to be a good Samaritan? If I saw a stranger in a ditch who I didn't know, would I help them? If I saw someone broken down on the side of the road, would I stop and help them? Do I have the stuff to be a good Samaritan? Well, that's not bad, but the parable goes way deeper than that. In fact, I would say to you boldly today that the parable of the prodigal son Put that aside, but the parable of the Good Samaritan is probably the most misunderstood parable that Jesus ever told. So this morning, I want you to lay aside everything you think you know about this parable. Because I believe when Jesus told this parable, he wanted us to ask a critical question. A challenging question. A life-transforming question. And this question gets to the root, to the heart, of what it truly means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, to get to this question, this key question, I want to focus on a key word, and that is Samaritan. Can you say that? Samaritan. Now, to us today, that word doesn't mean much, that name doesn't mean much, but to the Jews back in Jesus' day, a Samaritan was the enemy, the hated one. They were half-breeds to the Jews, half-Jewish and half-something-else. They had the wrong version of Scripture. They worshipped in the wrong way. They interpreted Scripture in the wrong way. They were the enemy. So to them, the Samaritan represented the other, the hated, the different, the despised. Now, to help you get a true feeling of how the Jews felt about the Samaritans, let me use some current categories. How do you think staunch Republicans and staunch Democrats feel about each other during election time? How do you think really conservative Christians feel about really liberal Christians sometimes? Scratch that. How do you think Florida Gators feel about Seminole fans and vice versa? But it goes deeper than that. It's about those who are different ethnically, religiously, those who are foreign. The other, the different, the hated, the despised. So I believe when Jesus told this parable, he wanted us to ask, each of us to ask ourselves this question. Who is the other in my life? Who do I hate? Who is different from me? Who thinks different from me? Who do I despise? Who do I fear? And am I willing to see them as God sees them? Am I willing to love them as God loves them? It's a challenging question. It's hard to embrace that, isn't it? But I believe as we look a little deeper into this parable today, we're going to be able to embrace that question and really see what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So let's appreciate the context of this parable. It's very fascinating. In fact, most people misunderstand this parable because they really don't look at the context. What went before it? And it's only by looking at the context that we can see the punch of this parable. So everything is started off by a lawyer. Count on a lawyer to set some sparks, right? A lawyer who wanted to test Jesus. And here is how it begins. In Luke 10, verse 25. An expert in the law stood up. To test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now the text says the man was there to test Jesus. He wasn't there to get to know Jesus. He wasn't there to get wisdom from Jesus. He wasn't there to get guidance from Jesus. He was there to test Jesus. And basically what he was saying to Jesus, are you in my camp? Do you believe what I believe? Do you see scripture the way I see scripture? Do you have the same stance on a particular issue that I do? Because if you do, I am with you. But if you don't, get away from me. Does that sound familiar? Christians are still doing that today. So the man was asking Jesus basically this question. And get this. How do I get into heaven? That's a good question to ask Jesus. Tell me, how do I get into heaven? Now, it wasn't a bad question. But it was the wrong question because it was all about him. What he should have been asking was this. How do I live a life that's pleasing to God? So Jesus was patient, but he was clever. And you know what Jesus did? He answered that question by asking another question. That's always wise. And this is what Jesus said in verse 26. What is written in the law? How do you read it? In other words, you're an expert in the law, you should know this answer. What do you see in the law? Tell me. And the lawyer said to Jesus what every Jew would know from Deuteronomy, the greatest commandment. Here it is. He answered, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. This summed up the entire Hebrew scriptures, the entire faith. And then Jesus said, Take a look. You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the man wouldn't give up. He kept pestering Jesus and said this. Well then. Who is my neighbor? You know what he was really asking? Who don't I have to love? Who don't I have to love? In other words, Jesus, this love thing sounds wonderful and it sounds great, but surely there is a limit to this. There must be a boundary to this. Surely I don't have to love everybody. Surely I don't have to love my enemy. Surely I don't have to love everybody. And sooner or later in our lives as Christians, we will ask our Lord this question. So Jesus then said, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now this road was very familiar, folks. It was the road to Jericho. About 17 miles long, very dangerous, notorious. Robbers would hide and then pounce on unsuspecting people who were traveling and rob them and beat them and leave them half dead. But notice Jesus, Jesus doesn't identify who the victim was. He doesn't tell them his name. He doesn't tell us where he's from. He doesn't tell us what denomination he's a part of. He doesn't tell us whether he drives an Oldsmobile or a Buick. He doesn't tell us who the man was. All Jesus said was a man. Now why? Because that person could be any person on any given day. It could be that cashier at Publix. It could be that guy that cut you off in traffic on your way to church this morning. It could be your neighbor. It could be your coworker. It could even be us when we're in a ditch and we need help and we need healing and we need rescuing. But then Jesus, counting on the great storyteller, that the plot thickens, and if you can believe, he then says this: a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, who was basically a faithful layperson, when he came to the place, saw him pass by on the other side. Now, if Jesus were telling this parable today, he probably would tell this portion like this. A United Methodist preacher passed by this man, and then he passed by on the other side because he was on his way to annual conference in Lakeland. Then so too, the chair of the board of the church began walking, but she passed by on the other side because she was on her way to a Bible study. But then Jesus shocks his audience by then saying this, And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now keep in mind, everyone who was listening to Jesus, or just about everyone, was Jewish. So when Jesus introduced the Samaritan, there were murmurs through the crowd. And most of them probably thought, a Samaritan? I would never receive help from a Samaritan. And they would never help me. You see what Jesus did? Did you see what Jesus did? He made the other, the enemy, the despised, the hated, the hero of the story, the one who got praise, the one who was closer to the kingdom. Now count on Jesus Christ to be offensive like that. Count on Jesus Christ to be inconvenient like that. I mean, it's that that co-worker you can't stand who's the only one who comes to see you in the hospital. It's that annoying neighbor you try to avoid on most days who shows up to your house with a casserole when you're sick. It's that man driving down the road with a Trump sticker on his car. I'm preaching now. Who sees a person with a Biden sticker on her car who's broken down on the side of the road who stops and helps them. It's any person, any enemy, who helps. And when that happens, you can't help but see that person as a person. As a child of God. And you see that when we... When we're cut, we all bleed. When we're tickled, we all laugh. And when we're in pain, we all cry. So the question, I believe, Jesus wants us to ask when we hear this parable, is this, every single one of us, who is the other in my life? Who do I hate? So Jesus turns to his tester. And says this, I love this. So based upon that great story I told, Who was the neighbor? And the man says, The one who had mercy on him. He couldn't even say Samaritan. And Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. Jesus didn't say, Now remember this lesson. Jesus said, Go and do likewise. Now I've never been good at math. But I know the math in this parable. In this parable, one out of three people was willing to help the other. One out of three. That one is who Jesus calls his follower. That one is truly following Jesus Christ. That one is a disciple. Who is the other in your life? This is hard. You see, quite often, when we follow Jesus Christ, we'll be called to do something that's not very popular. Because let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, sometimes doing what Jesus calls us to do is not popular at all. In fact, is offensive to many, many people. Because, you see, we like to water down Jesus. We like to take the edges off Jesus because His love is so radical. His love is so limitless. His love is so offensive that he was actually killed for it. It's tough. It's not always easy to do what Jesus calls us to do. In fact, I'll prove it to you. There was an interesting experiment done with seminary students, holy seminary students, one time. True story. They were in a class, and they were studying the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the professor wanted them to do presentations on this parable. And so he split them up into groups, and they all went to their own places and worked on their presentation. And finally the day came for their presentations. And so they got into their classroom. And the professor said, listen, we can't use this room. We have to use another one. The faculty needs this room. We have to go across campus and use another room. And so that's what they did. But unbeknownst to the students, the professor had planted an actor on their way to the other classroom. Who was in pain. Who was writhing. Who was screaming, I need help. And what did those holy seminary students do? They passed him by. Oh, some saw him, but passed him by. In fact, one actually climbed over the man to do a presentation on the parable of the Good Samaritan. Knowing and doing the right thing aren't the same thing. Just because we know what to do, doesn't mean we'll do it. You see, being a good Samaritan, a follower, takes more than a nice moral story. We must be changed. Our hearts must be changed in order to transform lives for Jesus Christ. A church's heart must be transformed. Nothing happens through us until it happens to us. And Robert what now? Pressure from Princeton University learned this lesson. Fascinating stuff. He asked the question, why are some people so compassionate and others not so much? And after all of his study, after all of his research, you know what he discovered? You know what he found out? It wasn't anything mind blowing. He discovered this. Those who are compassionate usually Something happened to them early in their life and someone showed compassion on them and helped them and they always remembered it. In fact, he said, take Jack Casey, for example, a paramedic, grew up in a tough, tough home. Dad was an alcoholic, didn't want to be like his dad. But when he was little, he had to go into surgery and he was scared to death. And there he was on the operating table and he was terrified and this sweet nurse grabbed his hand and said, sweetheart, I'm going to be here the whole time. I'm never going to leave you. When you wake up from surgery, I will be here. And she was true to her word. Fast forward many years later, Casey is a paramedic. He's called to an awful accident on a highway. A pickup truck had turned over. The driver was pinned on the other side. Gasoline was spilling everywhere. They were using power tools to try to get him out. And any spark could set the thing aflame. And Jack saw the man, terrified, and then he remembered that nurse. And so he went under the truck and he grabbed the man's hand and said, I'm going to be here. I'm not going to leave you. I am here until they get you out. And they rescued him. Well, a few days later, Casey went to visit the man in the hospital, and the man said, are you an idiot? I mean, we could have both gone up in flames. And Casey said, I couldn't leave you. You see, Casey was transformed by another person, which in turn transformed him. Who has had compassion on you? See, the truth is what I truly believe, and hear me, because this is sure as I stand here to preach to you this morning. I believe when Jesus told this parable, he wanted us to see ourselves in the ditch. As the one in the ditch, needing help. And along comes the hated, the despised, the different, a Samaritan. His name is Jesus Christ. And he came and picked us up and bandaged our wounds and healed us and redeemed us. You see, the question of this parable is not so much, who is my neighbor? Or will I be a neighbor? The question is, who has been a neighbor to me? And you know his name. It's Jesus Christ. And if you've experienced his love and mercy and compassion, you'll be able to go and do likewise. And this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Let's pray. Eternal God. You came down in Jesus, and you were hated, and you were despised, and you were rejected, but you saved us anyway. You were the other who saved us. May we experience that love anew today so we can then go out and be compassionate to others, especially the others in our life. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us in worship. We hope this has been a a challenging time. Yay! It's over, right? (laughs) Empowering and inspiring time. We're so glad you're here. Receive this benediction. And now may that mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you also. May the love of God, our Heavenly Father, abide with you this day and throughout this week. May the guidance and power of the Holy Spirit fall fresh upon you. And the faith and fellowship of all true disciples of Jesus Christ go with you and sustain you, both now and forevermore. Amen.